0: Welcome back to the Decarb Connect podcast. Um, so, this week we're going to focus on a different part of the decarbonization issue or ecosystem. And I'm just very pleased to welcome Jason Cardiff, who's the founder and CEO of Clean O2 Capture Technologies. And what we're going to talk about today is microscale carbon capture, which is obviously very different from the sorts of discussions we often have on on our particular podcast but I really felt that Jason's story but also the way that he thinks about decarbonization as an issue had, had a lot of merit for the listeners of, of our podcast so Jason welcome and um, I've already given you way more of an intro than I normally do because I'm a notoriously lazy podcast host but um, perhaps you could step in and talk a little about how you've arrived at this moment in time both your personal route and and also how Clean02 0 was born.
1: Sure, yeah, thanks, Alex. Um, that was a wonderful introduction. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I, I started off uh, in the career of uh, commercial plumbing and heating. I spent a tremendous amount of time in mechanical rooms looking after natural gas-fired heating appliances. And in 2005, there was a lot of discussions that seemed to be seeping into uh, the very various uh, media outlets that were that were looking at ways to decarbonize our energy infrastructure, and what I found interesting about those discussions was that uh, there didn't seem to be any focus on the heating industry. All of the d- discussions around decarbonization were focused on transportation and energy production, rather than distributed energy platforms like heating. So I thought from a career standpoint, I should probably familiarize myself with with this because it seemed to be that that's where the world was heading. And in 2005, there didn't seem to be a lot of resources available for guys like me that wanted to learn more about decarbonization and how we could get involved and what we needed to be prepared for. Uh, And even when I asked manufacturers that I had connections with to see, you know, where they were pointing the ship, uh, they sort of indicated that their their direction was largely focused on maximizing these energy efficiency uh, components for, for heating, which is important. I think we should all be very efficient and as efficient as we possibly can, but there was no mention of, of carbon capture. So I thought, well, that's, that's interesting. And um, yeah, so I, I just thought, well, maybe I can pitch in and try to uh, create a solution. Uh, I've always been interested in both the environment as well as in innovation. So, you know, uh, over the course of the last 17 years, I have surrounded myself with uh, some incredibly talented people uh, who have been able to answer that question of how we can address carbon emissions from the heating industry by creating a technology that can uh, easily bolt into an existing mechanical room, it can be retrofit into a heating platform, and it can convert Carbon emissions into a chemical commodity that is used in multiple industries. And that industry uh, can then um, engage people with these products. Uh, for example, uh, we make a lot of uh, soap and detergent and personal care products from these recycled uh, uh, from the recycled carbon. And um, it's amazing how you can engage people to have discussions around climate change, energy efficiencies. Um, all sorts of uh, of important topics with a with a bar of soap, uh, so we've uh, we've we've really sort of helped move the dial, and I help I think in some way have reframed what we think the future of the heating industry can look like.
0: So, i of interest, Were you were you someone who had a kind of an entrepreneurial drive before that, or was this just one of those happy moments of ah, oh, you see the issue? It's a moment in time where environment is more and more on the agenda, or yeah, what what's the What's the reality for you? Would you say
1: I've I've always been interested in innovation and not so much business ownership. I I took a lot of uh, inspiration from my dad. My dad was always in the garage, you know, working on things, solving problems, fixing things, and I always thought that that was a very fascinating uh, ability. Um, I admire him for that. I still admire for that him for that. He's he's quite uh, an innovator himself. Um, but the you know the creation of this business was more or less just trying to solve a problem rather than trying to create a business it was the the business was was as a result of recognizing that in order to solve the problem you have to have a business to support the deployment of the technology rather than wanting to start a business based on on the technology itself so um yeah but i've always been more focused on innovation than business ownership but I, i don't know i think we're doing okay (laughs)
0: <laughs> you definitely seem to be um so that that actually segues quite nicely into sort of you know before we talk more about what microscale scale ccus actually means and give it some context just give an outline of CleanO 2 so what's what's the business model and the kind of the market that you're playing into and and where are you at you know you've obviously you mentioned you've been in kind of a 17 year development phase but clearly things have kicked up a notch in the last couple of years so perhaps you can get the scene
1: Sure. So when we talk about micro scale carbon capture, we're talking about the micro sources of GHGs. We're talking about hot water tanks and boilers. We're talking about commercial properties, residential properties. We're talking about very small points of source production of greenhouse gases. So the value that we bring to our customer is uh, we provide them with the technology that converts their flue gases into a commodity that can be sold. And when we sell that commodity, we profit share with our customer to hasten the return on the investment. So the analogy that we like to use on a regular basis is uh, we call it urban mining. So we go into this joint partnership with our customers where we mine their flue gas, preventing the carbon dioxide fermenting entering the atmosphere, converting it into a product, selling the product, and then we share with them that 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 some of that revenue to get the return on the investment. But it's more than just that as well. We also uh, we're listed as an economizer, so we actually reduce the amount of natural gas that that building is using because we're reclaiming some of that waste heat and plugging that back into the building. Uh, and in the commercial heating space, preventative maintenance is is key to a healthy building. If you have a building that doesn't have some sort of uh, proactive measure in terms of uh, ongoing maintenance, then you're probably paying more to keep your building running than you should. So we provide that service at no charge to our customer to make sure that their systems are running properly so they can be more proactive instead of reactive. And where things get really interesting for us is uh, we have some of our customers, uh, for example, it's a I have a hotel. So in the case of a hotel, we can convert flue gases from their domestic hot water heating platform, convert it into, say, laundry detergent, and then bring that laundry detergent back to the building to use to wash their linens. Obviously, they go through a tremendous amount of hot water. They go through a tremendous amount of laundry detergent and other cleaning goods. So we are not only helping support greenhouse gas emission reductions. We're also helping support the circular economy where we're we're capturing something that would otherwise have been vented to atmosphere, turning it into a usable good, and then using that back on site. And Uh, We get asked all of the time, it's quite common uh, when people say, well, after you use the soap, does the CO2 not get vented back into atmosphere? The answer is no, that carbon is permanently sequestered as a carbonate. It goes into solution, and if the water evaporates, it it precipitates back out as a carbonate. It is not re-released.
0: And um, in terms of where you're at as a business, what's the kind of scale of the business? You mentioned hotels as one of the kind of markets you play into. What's the client base?
1: Our most recent uh, addition is a project that we just announced with the U.S. Department of Defense, uh, the Navy, uh, in uh, in, um, a project that should be um, up and running in the next uh, few months. Uh, We work with uh, commercial property owners. We work with uh, aggregated residential uh, owners like condominium complexes. We work with rec centers. We work with um, malls. Uh, We're talking about possibly doing a um, a project with a hospital. So that's kind of the scope and scale of uh, properties that we we work with.
0: So when you think about the the U.S. Navy and hospitals and hotels, just to really kind of bring it down to the nuts and bolts, what are the factors that mean those customers can leverage the strengths of Clean O2?
1: So first we look for centralized heating platforms in these buildings. So if they have a, a boiler or a hot water tank, then we look at the size of the boiler. Uh, we're not an industrial player, although we do get asked on a, on a regular basis if we can play in that space. And I always say it's like asking Fiat to go build a cargo ship. I'm sure they could build a wonderful cargo ship, but that's not really in their wheelhouse. So we're sort of the same. We're really focused on those micro scale sources of GHGs. So we typically look at boilers that range anywhere from, uh, you know, 250,000 BTUs up to uh, 1.5 uh, million BTUs we've got a little bit higher in some instances but that's kind of a range that we that we typically look at
0: okay now again you said you know it's been this 17 year journey and obviously you know with the kind of contracts you're talking about you're now at kind of a really interesting inflection point when you think back over the last few years what what have been the main drivers or the points in time that have sort of I don't know unleashed your next round of potential what would have been those those points along the route
1: Pivots. Yes, we've had a few along the way. So originally, uh, the originally, the business model was this arbitrage play of commodities. So we thought, okay, well, we spent over 10 years developing this technology. I guess it was probably closer to 12 years by the time we had something really, really um, usable. Uh, before we even started with the business model. So then we started developing a business model. We thought, okay, well, look, we're going to plug in this lower cost commodity into our unit. We're going to pull it out and then we're just going to sell that to the end user, you know, the the large scale uh, fertilizer producers or the textile industry or the soap and detergent industry because they're going to want to buy this because it's green. And then we're going to sail off into the sunset together and and come away a winner. And what we found was uh, not taking into account volumes volumes matter. So if you have this little tiny source of GHGs, you're not going to produce massive quantities of carbonates, but that's what they use. So when we went to these industries and we said, hey, we've got this green carbonate that we've produced, they sort of looked at us and say, nice, how, how cute, call us back when you've got larger volumes. So we thought, okay, well, that's that's clearly a problem because it's going to take us a while to get to scale. Uh, so that was that was a problem. So we thought, okay, well, First and foremost, what do we need to do? Well, we need to engage people to have them better understand what it is that we're trying to do. How do we do that? Well, let's create some marketing tools. Well, what is Carbonate used in? Well, they use it in bar soap. Well, why don't we make some bar soap? So we went to, my wife and I went to a YouTube university and learned how cold process soaps were made and we made a few batches and uh we shared them with um, with some of our project partners the gas utilities that we're working with and they loved it and uh but i was very clear i was i was adamant that uh it was only a marketing tool and it was just meant for show and we would never sell soap this was just a silly thing we are never going to sell soap and i i was vocal to everybody and uh, well, here we are now, you know, 17 later, years later, and we have the capacity of doing over 100,000 units of soap per month. And, and clearly, we, we're making soap. So uh, that, was a, that was, I think that was probably the biggest pivot point uh, for us is recognizing an opportunity within our marketplace to say, well, if the leaders of these industries don't get what we're trying to do, we have to become the leaders ourselves to pave the path to show them. And then eventually, once we've shown sufficient value, we've shown sufficient traction, then we can go back to those other industry leaders and say, look, we've done it. Here's the numbers. It works. Now you can run with it. It's yours here. Merry Christmas. Um, and uh, there's been other pivots along the way. Uh, like, for example, the early technology that we worked with was a, was an aqueous processing system. Um, we realized that there's a certain certain amount of Hazards associated with uh, with aqueous processors. Um, you you know we start off with a caustic material, and if I spill dry caustic on the floor of a chemical room, you know yes that's bad, but we can clean it up fairly quickly, and there's very minimal 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 risk to person and property. If it's an aqueous processing system and we spill liquid caustic all over the floor, well now we've damaged the floor. There's no five second rule. You've damaged the floor, or worse, you've hurt somebody uh so we 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 sort of said okay well we need to address that because safety is key absolutely key we're not going to get very far if we're hurting people or damaging property so we moved over to to an anhydrous or a dry pack chemical processor so we can really sort of focus on safety procedures and make sure that we're um that we're operating properly but yeah there's that's kind of the the general sort of pivots and, and moments aha moments where we said oh yeah we, we need to alter course
0: And then before I sort of ask you a broader question about heating and decarbonization of heating, just give us the the sense of the team. Like what's the size of the team that you have at the moment? I know later in the conversation, we're gonna talk about perhaps what's next, but what's the scale right now?
1: Uh, We're 23 staff and uh, we're spread pretty thin uh, because we are scaling uh, as we are operating in three different countries. Uh, Looking to come to to the UK next year, we've got a number of uh, interested parties that are trying to open the door for us to get us over into that neck of the woods, which is very exciting because of the the huge efforts to decarbonize uh, this, you know, the heating industry. Um, Yeah, so I, I, I suspect if you asked me in another six months that number would be very different.
0: Okay, well, we'll um, we'll talk a little bit more about those kind of growth plans towards the end. But when you and I met and sort of had a chat about this uh, episode, one of the things that you, I guess, were kind of quite you know, you did stress with me is that you understand or that you're definitely very well aware that you're one element of the wider challenge of how do we decarbonize heat. So, so let's take a look at that macro view because I think you have a really interesting perspective on it given your original background as well as this scale up that you're developing now. What is what is your perspective on what is it gonna take to decarbonize the heating industry quite widely? And, and then we'll maybe have a, a look specifically at, at buildings and things like that. But what, what's your perspective on that?
1: Well, education is, is really key here. Uh, I think in the media, When we talk about decarbonization, specifically in the heating industry, we tend to look at the point sources of GHDs. We look at the boilers, and we look at the the gas water heaters, and we look at all of those, those products that are generating the GHDs, but almost never do I hear anybody talking about the envelope of the building that they're in. And really, at the end of the day, if you're not willing to look at the building holistically, look at... The thing that's generating the GHGs, but then also look at the envelope. Do you have a two by four stud exterior stud wall? Do you have leaky windows? Do you have poor in, uh, insulation in your attic? If the envelope is not high efficiency, then it really doesn't matter what you're putting in as your heat source as much because you're you're having to expend so much energy to keep that building warm during the winter months that you've you've kind of missed the point. So I think one of the things that we all need to to, to be aware of is to educate ourselves on what does it mean holistically to decarbonize these platforms, specifically in the retrofit industry. You know, you look at buildings like, say the Empire State Building, how do you make it net zero? How do you do that? You can't change the the exterior very well or very inexpensively. It's an expensive thing, you know. I think that's probably the main reason why we tend to look at the boilers or the things that are generating heat, because that's kind of on the low end of costs to the consumer is to get that thing upgraded. When you start talking about altering the envelope of the building, especially in a commercial building, that, that's a that's a big touch. That's a that's a lot of a lot of a lot of cash that needs to be spent and who's going to spend that i mean there are government incentives to certainly help with that but the 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 owner of the building has to bear the the brunt of that so um so yeah ultimately at the end of the day it's just a case of really just educating people and understanding what does it mean to decarbonize the heating industry another great example would be to look at the terms that we use and i'll give you an example Um, There are a lot of people out there that still have a mid-efficient gas-fired appliance. They have to upgrade it to a high-efficiency appliance. The word mid versus the word high indicate that there's a spread between the two. There's like a 50-50 split, right? Mid is in the middle, high efficiency is on the the top end. But in reality, a mid-efficient boiler or a hot water tank is like 85 to 87% efficient. When you go to a high-efficiency appliance, on average, it's 95% efficient. So you're only getting anywhere from 7 to 10% increases in efficiency. But when you compare that to the amount of money that you have to spend to get that extra 10%, it's it's sizable. It's really sizable. So I think it's also important to understand, again, educate yourself in terms of what does it mean to increase the efficiency of not just the heat platform, but the building as a whole.
0: The building is a, a system. I think we've had people on the, the podcast before that have talked about the need for whether it's investors or technology companies or you know industrials, which is what we're normally talking about here, to think systemically, not just about this kind of oh, yeah. I've narrowed in on this one thing. We can now fix this one thing. So it's that systemic thinking that's that's really exactly. Wanted. Um well, coming back to the carbon capture. Story uh, and and reuse. One of the things that's sort of interesting about it, and I can sometimes forget this because I'm so immersed in these sorts of conversations. Like every now and again, I'm sort of slightly baffled by, you know, why it might be that in the real world, in the outer world, people it's not there's not a huge amount of buy-in to carbon capture on all continents, um, and there is something of a struggle to to bring the kind of you know the public into this into the reasons why we should invest in this stuff. So I'm just interested again, in your, in your perspective of this, you talked a little bit about story and the, the very title of this session is, is kind of designed to look at how micro scale carbon capture can be a real help to the wider story of CCS. Just talk to me about that a little bit.
1: Yeah. It's funny. Uh, you know, I, I had this conversation uh, a couple of days ago with some good friends of ours that, uh, Working in the energy space, and and I and I've heard this from other people that are in the industry, and that is that the 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 energy industry sucks at storytelling. They're horrible at it, Um, and it's hard. It's it's hard to do. How do you make energy? How do you make carbon capture? How do you make uh, things like uh, efficiency attractive? to talk about and it's it's a difficult thing to do because you know people will talk about uh, you know their electric car or they'll talk about you know pv or they'll talk about the you know the wind station because it's it's a big visual and it's it's different so it's you know it's something that's easily digestible and it's in your face and you can talk about it but we talk about energy and we talk about carbon capture. These almost feel like somewhat abstract, you know, and so it's kind of hard, I think, to, to engage people. So then I think that's where, where we can help. And it's not so not just help our own company, but help the carbon capture industry as a whole by creating tangible goods. Like if I'm at a party and I want to talk about carbon capture and I can have it relate to the clothes that I'm wearing, or the bar soap in my bathroom or the fertilizer that I used on my lawn because my lawn is lush and green. Well, those are tangible things that people can get and it allows them to find a channel to pursue, to have those discussions and to tell those stories. So I think the carbon capture industry and the energy industry as a whole needs to find more tangible avenues to present to the public so that they can get engaged. Cause what they're doing right now is is not very usable. So I'm, I'm hoping, you know, at some level that the clean 2 can, can help in that narrative and, and, and help break it down so that more people can talk about this very important matter, which is, you know climate change and carbon efficient or carbon management and carbon reduction and energy efficiencies and all of those things energy literacy, all of those things are very, very important. Uh, so if we can help in some way to to uh, play a part, I think that'd be pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I wonder if sometimes uh, that that piece on the kind of carbon literacy and people being able to really envisage what these technologies doing it's it's almost because uh, I guess like any early sectors, often the technology is sold by the engineers that that built it. No, obviously we need those engineers, but that's not necessarily where the natural storytelling capability comes from and i think your point about you know i get that you you do now have soap as a key part of the business but originally it was a a device it was a narrative device and i I think there's something really powerful in that um like being able to physically touch something that is part of energy transition and decarbonization is it's yeah, i think that's going to be important for most you know most populations to really get behind the sort of incentives and I don't know other other things we're going to have to do to make it real
1: yeah and I, th- I think you know in, in 20 years I think carbon capture will be just one of those things we take for granted it'll be like the internet you know there was a time when the internet was a new thing and there were many people that thought it would be a fad and would never go anywhere and yet here we are you and I talking you know thousands of miles apart from each other as though it's just an everyday thing, right? It's a normal thing. I think carbon capture will be viewed as the same thing. It's just an integral part of our society to try to undo uh, you know, the decades and and years of of maybe some mismanagement in terms of of how much emissions we're pumping into our atmosphere.
0: Let's let's kind of close out then with a look at what's next for you as a business. So you've sort of alluded to the possibility, the opportunity of expanding into new markets. What's what's coming next? And I mean we do have Often on these uh, on these episodes, we're talking about people who are in financing rounds. Is that is that part of your field of vision at the moment or not? So maybe you can talk to us about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, from an expansion standpoint, as I said, we are currently uh, expanding our reach in both Canada, the United States, and Japan. Uh, we have project partners in the UK and EU and Australia that we're hoping to expand out into in two thousand and twenty-three. Uh, Our goal from a tech standpoint, we've been able to hit an independent uh, mark of of carbon reduction for mechanical in around 20 to 30%. Uh, We have a new version that we're hoping to have out in Q1 next year that should be able to get to 50%. Uh, Long term, three to four years, we have another technology that we're currently developing that'll get us to 100%. Our goal has always been to decarbonize this industry, and we have a roadmap to get there. So, uh, you know, I think the face of CleanO2 is obviously gonna be very different in another two, three years. Um, And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. In terms of uh, investment, we're we're launching a series A, uh, I think here, uh, Q1 of next year to help support uh, the rapid deployment of these technologies, uh, help us work with international manufacturing agencies to be helped to deploy. We're also working on a regional business model uh, we want to help support job growth opportunities in the various regions that we're operating in, not just decarbonization, not just circular economy, but local uh, economic growth as well. Um, and those things take money and they take time. So um, that's largely what our Series A will be used towards is is for the projects uh, abroad.
0: Well, really, I mean, just uh, great to talk to you, Jason. I know people that put up with me on this uh, podcast regularly will know that it's often the stories from the founders, the creators of new technology like you, that I get really excited about, because partly it's just fascinating to hear where these come from, but it's also just hugely hopeful to me to kind of to see how these uh, technologies such as yours can really come to scale and and have this incredible impact. So, thank you for coming on. It's Been great to talk with you.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Many thanks for listening to the Decarb Connect podcast. We work with clients across the industrial sectors specifically those who are tasked with decarbonizing the most energy intensive products and materials that we use every day. If you have an interest in uh, learning more about either our members network, our reports or our event series, do get in touch with us at decarbconnect.com. Or if you'd like to take part in the podcast, email me, alex, at ac at Thanks for listening.